Hi, I'm Lindsay Boomershine, brand manager of High Five Gear. H5G has thousands of designs to choose from and no hidden artwork fees. How awesome is that? Have your jersey tell your story. Order online at www.high5gear.com today. Add H5G into your wardrobe and show off your individuality. Use code ABOVE180 at checkout for $20 off any H5G style. Order today and enjoy high5gear.com. Hey, bowlers, Bowling This Month is back. Bowling This Month is bowling's trusted technical resource that's relied upon by thousands of serious bowlers, pro shop operators, and professional coaches. From independent ball reviews to great instructional articles on all facets of our sport, you'll find it all at BowlingThisMonth.com. For less than the price of a cup of coffee per month, you can have online access to Bowling This Month's premium technical bowling content that will help you improve your game. Bowling This Month is so confident you'll be satisfied, they're offering a 14-day money-back guarantee to all subscribers. Check out BowlingThisMonth.com and sign up today. You can hear Above 180 on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Kindle Fire, and beyond, on demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. Tim Berg is ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, here's your host, Tim Berg. Joining me today on the Above180.com podcast is Jeff Riggles. You can find Jeff on 11thframe.com. He's the owner of that website. Also, Jeff is a member of the USBC Hall of Fame the Wisconsin Bowling Hall of Fame, and the Madison Wisconsin Bowling Hall of Fame. Jeff has five USBC Eagles, and his team is always one to keep an eye on when you're heading out to the USBC Open Championship. So, Jeff, Tim Burke here. Thanks for joining us today. Always happy to uh, be on the show, Tim. All right, Jeff. Well, you were out at the World Series of Bowling catching the action at the stadium. So let's talk about that and some of the main storylines that came out this year at the World Series of Bowling. Let's begin. A lot of people talking about the high scores. What was your perspective on that when you were out there watching the guys during qualifying? Well, um, I wrote about this earlier this week, kind of catching up on some of the things I didn't. Uh, it was it's kind of like a leftovers jammed into a notebook, like a beat writer might do once a week. Um, and to me, sure, let's let's look at a perfect world, the best bowlers in the world, a major championship at stake because that's the PBA World Championship. It's uh, you know the longest major, sixty games, and. Um, Obviously, you would want a really tough condition, really low scores, most likely. And, um, you know, that's how you want a major to be for the most part. But let's say if you do that and it shuts out a straight player or it shuts out the lefties or it shuts out guys that like to hook it or something like that, which I think in today's bowling is is it's hard to hit that middle ground is what I wrote about where you find both something that's not too easy, not too hard and gives everybody an equitable chance. And the harder you make them, I think sometimes the harder it is to, to find that equitable uh, middle ground. The USBC has done it with the U S open at least once in the last three years, I, I think maybe twice. It certainly, I don't think did it in the uh, loft fest, as I called it out at the U S open uh, last month. Um, but I think the World Series, while the scores were higher, how can anyone complain with all that we saw? And now, I don't know how many people have seen any of the TV shows or watched the extra frame, but 
we saw players winning throwing straight. We saw players on the left side winning. Um, there was a one pattern that played super nice on the left compared to the right. One pattern that played super softer, relatively speaking, on the right compared to the left. The other two were pretty equal. Uh, Ryan Simonelli made a nice quote about that in one of my stories. I thought he nailed it well. So it was equitable right to left. I think about as good as you can get in today's bowling without going ending up one way or the other. Um, and there were, like I said, straight players winning, and there were power players going straight, um, partly because none of the rounds were very long. They were bowling five-game rounds and then reoiling. And uh, so there wasn't any of the, you know, double, triple burn. There weren't even any eight or nine, ten-game squads where you get way left. So, but, but in five games with those guys and their rev rates, there were points at which power players were able to, you know, get left and wheel the ball. And so I think everybody pretty much had as much of a fair chance or decent chance or equitable chance as you can have in, in today's bowling. And I give all the credit in the world to Sean Perry, uh, PBA lane man, and, and the folks he worked with, I assume guys at Brunswick, um, to develop those patterns and, and Kirk Von Kruger and Tom Clark kind of supervising things. I think they did a fabulous job. I love how the new patterns have the oil piled up in the front of the lane and you don't get this big mess down the lane that you got to go around. And if you don't have the two-handed power, you 210 all the time and that sort of thing. I'm, I mean, yeah, there was a lot of um, angst from the players about how high the scoring pace was. But if you gave me the, and this is what I wrote, if you gave me the choice between fairly equitable left, right, straight, curving it and all that sort of stuff versus really low with higher scores versus really low scores and maybe not equitable. I'll take the former over the latter any day. And I, and I think that's what it was. So, you know, this is the nature of our sport these days. And, and overall, I, I think that that's, I would rather see what happened in Reno than having what happened at the U S open. Did you, did you get a sense from the players during the practice sessions that they were feeling that this, these patterns had played a little softer or even when they were preparing for the World Series that they knew it was going to take their striking shoes when they were out in Reno? Yeah, I did not. Um, I was not there at the very beginning, but I did have some messaging um, opportunities and was following social media, and it was clear immediately in the practice. And I think they talked about it the first, the, if you remember, Extra Frame did a Facebook Live preview show after the first day's practice so they bowled on two of the patterns and ej was on that and belmo and uh sean rash and and several guys mookie Betts was on there and they talked already oh, it looks like the scores are going to be pretty high so they knew it right away and they i know they don't like it i didn't like it when i was out there i wouldn't like it now i mean i prefer still even though i'm old and not very good anymore when i do bowl in something i'd rather have where spares matter and it's tougher to get to the pocket than have the scores too high but but like i said i think it's a trade-off and the fans out there are watching who are i saw some let's for lack of a better term morons on social media who are talking about, oh it's a house shot and I'm, trust me the guys the tour guys averaging you know if you took the top one third of the each animal pattern tournament it ranged from 217 to 224 and part of what made the score seem really high is that they were only taking 16 as the cut and 32 of the cash out of 195. So it was like one in 10 or one in six for those two ratios. So that made it seem even higher. But if you go one in three, which is a normal tournament for cashing, it was only 217 to 224. It wasn't that high, number one. And number two, 
the people at home sitting there in their computers typing about how easy they are, if they're like a 220 average league bowler and they came out and bowled on that, they probably wouldn't be averaging 200 because those guys are that good. So it's not that it was that easy, but it was just, you know, it was it was easier than, say, a flat pattern or some of the older PVA patterns, the last versions, which were a lot tougher. And the ratios are not high. I've seen the patterns. The ratios are not high. I think it's more the construction of the pattern with the oil piled in the front rather than down the lane and, and this extreme taper they're using now. And I think that makes them open up a little bit more uh let's see, readably, readable, <laughs> um, or consistently. And it just makes it, it is easier to play, I think. And the, the adjustments and the moves are a lot more logical than they were um, on the last couple of years worth of patterns. And, you know, I, I just think that plays into all the strengths. And the other thing I wrote in there that's interesting about this is when the scores are a little higher and you are only taking 16 for those animal patterns, you could see the pressure out there in these guys they uh, and they a lot of them talked about it it's like man you only got x number of games 10 games of qualifying the animal patterns and you're only taking 16 out of 195 if you want to make those cuts boy you shoot a 200 you're in trouble you're losing a lot of ground if you shoot a game of 170 holy mackerel you are absolutely dead in the water when the pacing of 16 out of 195 might be 230 something you know ej tackett is the perfect example he had a tough first day on chameleon, which was fairly high scoring, and was struggling with his arm swing. He hit, had a hitch he said he had to fix. And then on Cheetah, he shot 70 under the first three. Then he shot 300 over in the last seven. But that 70 under the first three probably was the difference in him making the making you know the higher finish and making a, have a chance to make the show in the uh, world championship. Again, Jeff Friggles joining us, 11thframe.com is where you can find him and all his great uh, great article and great work he does there. Jeff, who should fans be looking for in 2018? Was there anyone who maybe is, is not a household name, so to speak, that we should keep our eye on moving forward? Well, I think he, he's, he's a household name, but he's not thought of as a superstar. And uh, I wrote about this as well and talked about it on the Let's Go Bowling show earlier this week. Um, and Kyle Troop is the guy that really stood out for me. I mean, obviously Jesper and, and Belmo were the dominant two players out there and, but, but they're always the dominant players. So that's nothing new. That's nothing that really jumped out at me, but Kyle completely jumped out at me. He's got two titles, including that the fabulous doubles win with Jesper in Maine earlier this year that led to the, you know, the picks in his hair and led to the, the sports center uh, and other show segments that was just awesome. And, uh, but, but, you know, Kyle has is, is been a guy that's kind of been, he's erratic. He's not a guy that's there every time he bowls or almost every time he bowls. And I, he obviously has worked, you know, unimaginably hard on his game because it only took me a couple games of watching him when I got to Reno. I got to Reno for the, the first day of the two days of, uh, or the, the Scorpion, the final animal pattern round before they cut to the cashers. There we go. Um, on the Sunday at the World Series and, and watched him, Sunday night some, but mostly uh, Monday in the cashers. And I, I happened to watch him just for a couple games because I was intrigued by how well he was bowling. And the thing that just stood out to me is he's, he, and he talked about it in interviewing him, his speed control is so much more consistent, so much better. And his uh, rev rate, um, every shot just was his consistency and, and repeatability was just uh, off the charts compared to the last time I'd seen him, which in person was at last year's World Series. 
and his demeanor was just, I mean, he was like, there was nothing that was going to phase him, nothing. And he was working constantly on his, on his shots and just so into it. So in the moment, it was just so impressive and he bowled so good. And I don't want to give away anything for, um, what happened to him in some of the shows that he, he was on. Uh, but he had, um, some things happen that weren't good. And afterwards, when I interviewed him, he just, the way he handled it was so perfect, so self-honest, self-critical, and yet not beating himself up. And it was like, okay, I made a mistake or two. I'm going to learn from it. Um, I'm going to get better at it. I'm not going to make these mistakes next time and, uh, laughing and joking. And this was, you know, probably no more than half an hour to an hour after a show. And it, it was just awesome. I mean, I, 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 I knew his dad really well and, um, he was out there and I, I talked with him about that and was praising Kyle and he made the great quote. He said, yeah, well, I told him to come talk to me when he gets to eight titles, which is how many cup he has, <laughs> but <laughs> I think people watch out for Kyle Troop. Now, maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe this was just a career couple of weeks for Kyle, but he just really looked different. And, you know, and the last thought on him is how great it could be for bowling if Kyle Troop becomes a superstar because he connects with fans in ways like his father did and in ways that less colorful guys don't. And, you know, I'm not going to rip on anybody who's, you know, a calmer personality, a great player. Like, let's look at Frankie Lavoie. Um, uh, I love him. He's a fabulous bowler. Um, obviously a star out there, probably one day, maybe a hall of famer with, uh, the way he started his career, but he is fabulous to watch if you're a bowling junkie, but he's not a guy that's going to get you to jump out of your seat, except when he shoots 300 on TV, obviously. But Kyle is a guy that kids love that the fans love. He's got the clothing. He's got the hair. He's got the personality. He's got the smile. He just, you know, he like his dad, he could be a person that could, if he can become a certain level of star, could could help, you know. I mean, we've already saw that at the doubles when he was on all the shows after winning with Jesper Svensson. So I just think that there's so much potential there. And I don't, you know, journalists doesn't cheer for the player or the team. We cheer for the story. And while my cheering for Kyle is cheering for the story and what, what he could do for bowling, and, and I I hope it. Uh, I hope what I'm what I saw there is something that uh, is an indication of things to come. You also hit on a few other bowlers who a lot of people will know and, and know you know have, have followed throughout the years. Bill O'Neill and Sean Rash. Talk about them and their World Series of Bowling. And and um, as it's it's funny to say for 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 us too, Jeff. You know, being a little bit older than both of those guys, they're they're kind of becoming the senior members on tour now. Or the you know the th- the thirty year olds on tour these days. Yeah, I know it's funny because one of the recent times I talked to Sean, he was talking about feeling old. And I thought, geez, you have no idea, kid. <laughs> but when you compare it to, especially the way the tour is becoming now, there's so many great young players. Even Belmo is kind of a, a veteran old guy now. And Sean for sure is. I mean, you, you, we have trouble remembering he's been on tour, man, it's almost 15 years now. And uh, he, I mean, he he's won a lot recently and, and been bowling well, but boy, he was so sicker than a dog out there. He had a horrendous cold. His, his daughter was out there and she was really sick too with a fever and stuff. And he gutted it out and came so close to making the show of the world championship. I I really thought his performance was above and beyond considering his condition. And he really looked good. And I'd certainly expect him to keep uh, performing well next year. But O'Neill is a guy that is somewhat 
you know, kind of, I don't want to say fallen off the radar, but compared to a guy that was, you know, seemingly winning a title or two every year there for a while. And he's certainly on the cusp of a hall of fame numbers already. I think it's nine titles and a major. So, you know, another title or two or another major. And I think you could definitely uh, consider him a, a, a solid hall of fame candidate, but he hasn't done a whole lot lately. And I, I noticed, uh, I can't remember where I read it. It was, maybe it was Bowler's journal. Maybe it was, uh, a news release from somebody or, a, or, a, an interview on Facebook, but Belmo actually was talking about how much, uh, uh, Bill's been working on his game. And, and so I was curious to watch him and you can tell he has made some changes and he bowled excellent out there. I mean, he came down to, uh, the final game and he was in the show with a game to go. He was, he was the fifth place guy and on the pair, with Matt Sanders and Matt Sanders shot 268 that last game, finishing on the pair that um, Jesper and Ryan Simonelli had started on, and that pair also was the pair that Belmo had started on, which didn't turn out to be very good for his good friend Bill O'Neill. And Bill had 173 the last game, I believe it was, and Sanders had 268, and and it knocked uh, Bill off the show and Sanders on, or we would have would have seen you know Bill on the show, and that's how good he bowled out there, and uh, I think. Uh, I, it would not surprise me at all to see him uh, put on uh, a big year in 2018. Jeff, you also wrote earlier this year about some of the possible changes coming on with the USBC and the, the new ball restrictions. What was the mood like in Reno for that? And I guess I'll preface that by saying a lot of these, the new equipment, the hook monsters you see are not always thrown by a lot of the pros and professionals out there. They're, they're more the amateur players that are using them. You seem to see the pros from any company, it seems like, garner to one or two or three or four balls or, or six balls maybe that work well for them and, and seem to work on every every condition for them but what does that mean for the pros or how are they approaching this well you know it's it's i just find it really interesting and i'm not sure i don't think anyone knows exactly what usbc is going to come with but clearly something's going to be happening here in the next uh you know couple of months probably early 2018 uh, chad murphy promised that earlier uh this year um but the funny thing to me is everybody's throwing urethane or not everybody, but the use of urethane on tour is just, it's incredible how many players use it. Um, I, part of it is the huge rev rates. A lot of these guys have, and, and part of it, I think it was kind of uh, accelerated by the new lane patterns. There's so much oil in the front of the lane. Um, and the back ends are pretty sharp then. And so the urethane gives you two things. You can sand it up really heavy, like 500 grit, and that will get it to pick up and not squirt through that uh, puddle of oil at the front of the lane. And at the same time, because it's urethane and not resin, I mean, you can do the same thing with a strong resin ball, but then it's going to come off the oil and go crazy and be hard to control. But the urethane comes off the oil and, and boom, it's, you know, it's going left without going with in under control. And it was, uh, I mean, you know, you always see Jesper and guys like that throwing urethane, but there were guys throwing urethane like Belmo on the longer patterns, the 42 and the and patterns in that over 40 feet, which was pretty interesting. And he was not the only one. So I, that was to me very interesting. And uh, it'll be really interesting to see what, I, I mean, I, like I said, I don't know what USBC is going to do. Um, I've heard, obviously that was the, the, the elephant in the room, I think was the term I used in what I wrote. And that was a lot of talk about that out there. And tried to have a couple conversations just even off the record to get a feel for 
um, you know, how they're going to approach things and that, and none of the ball company guys, cause all the, you know, Mr. Chrisman was out there and Mr. Schickert from Ebonite and, you know, uh, Scott from uh, motive and a lot of the big guys were out there and they even off the record, they didn't, they just didn't want to touch it. So I'm sure they're probably having some discussions with USBC, but clearly from talking to players and some of the underlings from ball companies and that both in Reno and out, uh, there's a lot of concern about what might happen. And, uh, a lot of uh, angst, I guess we could say. And um, the most interesting thing would be, let's say, and I'm going totally hypothetical here, if there's a huge, big restriction put on by USBC, you know, how will how will PVA react? Uh, Tom Clark, when I had the Q&A with him, basically I think he hadn't even really considered the issue um, in any depth and didn't really have a, a definitive answer, obviously. And obviously they don't want to have a different restriction and that but would they not follow usbc rules perhaps but i mean let's say they do that and so the ball companies can keep putting the power balls in players hands and you use them on tv but what good would that do the ball companies if the people at home watching couldn't go out and buy those balls and use them so there's so many facets to this all these issues that i think we just have to wait and see what usbc does and what the impact is going to be. But from what I see on the tour, if they dialed everything back to urethane, it wouldn't have the biggest effect because heck half the guys are using urethane now. Quickly, a few things before we go. I have to mention bowlingthismonth.com. Check out bowling's best and most comprehensive technical resource. They have your ball reviews. Lots of great articles. Seeing one that right now is up there from Joe Slowinski, who we just had on the show not too long ago. Also talking about some uh, pin carry issues up there and practice. Not for the faint of heart, a title for another great article. Want to check all those out, bowlingthismonth.com. Also seeing lots of great information for the BTM tournament, which will be coming up in Syracuse. That runs coincides with the USBC Open Championships. I know Rick Ramsey always does a great job with that tournament and your ball reviews. So check all that stuff out at bowlingthismonth.com. Also, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention High Five Gear. I just went through this process over the last week, got my High Five Gear ordered, Expecting it here any day now. Very excited about that. But I went through the process to, sh- to kind of go through and let you know how it- it's very simple process. They work with you. You can go on there. You can design your own shirt. Or you can choose one of the ones that's already there. Over a 1,000 designs. Lots of great uh, shirts there. New practice gear if you're a lady out there looking to practice. Or a male even looking to practice. Great slacks, etc. Great stuff designed by bowlers. As if you listen to and remember the podcast I did with both Lindsay and Kyle Troop, they talk about the process that they went through to come up with this stuff. So great stuff. Again, highfivegear.com is where you want to check all that out. Use promo code ABOVE180 for $20 off your order. So again, promo code ABOVE180. Check out high5gear.com. Lots of great stuff there. Again, high5gear.com. Final question I have here. Let's chat about. Um, I always have when I have people on. I get them, give them the opportunity to talk about the company they're affiliated with uh, on the ball side of things. Storm, you're seeing some of the new Storm releases. What are you really liking in their arsenal as far as uh, doing some of the the ball reviews and testing? Which you can find all those on eleventhframe.com as well. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting because just yesterday I uh, drilled um, the High Road Nano and the Daredevil Danger and the All Out uh, Show Off. And, uh, boy, that, uh, high road nano is very, very, very interesting ball because it's got that super strong nano, uh, cover, but it's not got the asymmetrical core. It's just got the old high road core that, uh, has been obviously so popular throughout time. 
And it was like a early roll. I just got to throw it a couple, both three, a couple games yesterday in practice on a house shot, but it was the smooth without revving up strong and smooth without revving up early type of ball that I think this could be a great ball for an old geezer like me who doesn't have a lot of rev rate anymore when we're bowling on some oil, but you don't want that ball that checks up early and uh, might be a, a great ball for the average league player who doesn't have a super amount of hand uh, for the house shots. And the other two um, were, uh, especially the daredevil danger. I, from what I saw that I, I'm going to get a lot of use out of that one. Uh, good, strong, uh, medium, medium type of ball. And then the all out show off, um, it seems like that covers a better matchup for the core that's on there than the original show off, which I think the, the cover was a little too strong for the core. And I think this is a little better matchup and uh, might be a good after the lanes breakdown ball. So I kind of liked all of those. And the other stuff I've been getting recently, a lot of use out of new stuff is the intense, which to me, I've already had a review up on that. It's kind of a rollier, smoother version of the no rules pearl a bit stronger and it's a great ball for, say, a down and in on a house shot uh, because it's kind of rollier and smooth and it doesn't just jackknife off the dry. And then uh, I actually, they finally made a urethane ball for me. <laughs> uh, you see all the guys out on tour when, when I'm talking about them using urethane, most of it is stuff like the pitch black, not the not the stronger flaring urethanes. You see the, those guys with the super high revs like Jesper and Belmo um, are not throwing the, the flaring one, but I have been getting a lot of use out of the Roto-Grip hot cell, which has the cell core over a urethane cover. And having those flares gets me actually a urethane ball that has some back end, even at my old age and reduced uh, rev rate. So those are those are kind of been my uh, my newest and latest things in my bag. And I'm off to Iowa to do a bunch of bowling this weekend, and we'll have all those new ones in my bag. And looking forward now that I'm getting back to bowling a little more, uh, being healthy and done with the World Series. So looking forward to a lot of tournament action over the next few months. Awesome. Well, again, Jeff Riggles, find him on 11thframe.com. All his great articles, great insight there, Jeff. Thanks. Uh, we try to catch up once or twice a year, and I thought, what? why not right now, right after the, you were out at the World Series, and uh, and you did a great job in that piece, like you said. It, um, it's, uh, it's, it's worth the price of uh, subscribing just for your coverage of that and everything that you do. So thanks again, Jeff, and we'll talk down the road. Anytime. You just uh, call and I'm on, Tim.